question. Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, we know that everyone here, none by chance, all by divine appointment, minister to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Chronicles, it's been a couple weeks because last week we had our Good Friday service. But in 2 Chronicles, in First and 2 Chronicles, remember, this is God giving through, uh, again, through the Word of God, instruction for the people who've been in Babylon for 70 years. And now they're coming back to Israel, which been, had been vacated because of their own rebellion. They'd been taken captive. Some of those captives were people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, many, among many others. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, and they had all that time in Babylon. So now they're coming back. And to give them a, an object lesson, many of them had never been in Jerusalem or Israel before. So in, in 1 Chronicles, it gives us the life of David. It really focuses on King David and everything that King David went through and lessons they can learn from it. And then 2 Chronicles begins with Solomon, and it continues to go through the heirs of Solomon. Now, what's interesting, quickly, is that the nation of Israel, we know, is torn in two pieces because of Solomon's disobedience. Judah, okay, Judah and Benjamin are the two southern tribes, and the other ten tribes are called Israel. Now, we know as we've gone through this book that every single king in Israel, the northern kingdom, has been evil, all of them idol-worshipping, falling away from God, one of the reasons that they ended up being taken away into captivity. The, the kings in Judah, half of them, about half of them, have served the Lord and loved the Lord, and about half of them have been evil. Now, one we looked at a couple of weeks ago was a man by the name of Jehoshaphat, and he was a godly man. He was a godly man who walked in obedience to the Word of God. He faithfully sought and served the Lord. He had the whole counsel of God taught to all the people, wouldn't it be great if the president of the United States just said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to teach the Bible to the whole nation. That's all we're going to... We're going to put on every TV station. That's all that's going to be on. That's all that's going to be on the radio. We're going to do that for the next six months. And that's what kind of what Jehoshaphat did. He brought the word of God back to the people of God so they would fall back in love with the Lord. And then we saw again that he was a faithful, godly man. So when we get to chapter 18, it's kind of heartbreaking but it's also a warning for all of us because here's this godly man, maybe as godly a king as they've had in the southern kingdom out after David, godly man, Asa, a few others, but he was this godly man and we're going to see him kind of enter into a relationship with the most evil king Israel has ever had. So you take the most godly man, that one of the most godly men that has ever ruled over Judah, and you take the most ungodly man, and this is not even up for debate, his name was King Ahab. You guys remember him? What's his wife's name? Jezebel. Who's naming their daughter Jezebel anytime soon? <laughs> Ever been a Jezebel? Not so much. She's right up there with Hitler. I mean, she's bad news. Nobody wants her name, right? And so she's this w wicked, vile queen and King Ahab. They were the ones that he married her and she came and she brought the, you know, the false gods of Baal and Asheroth. And that's where Elijah calls fire down from the sky and the prophets of Baal are consumed. So that's, so you got King Ahab, wicked, vile, ungodly, godly Jehoshaphat, and they're going to enter into a relationship. So if you have your outline, grab it. I'm going to go over this. How a godly man, this is a man or woman, is influenced by an ungodly world. And these are examples that we'll see in, Je in Jehoshaphat's life that should be warnings for all of us. How do we fall into the trap of getting so caught up in the world that we wander away from the Lord, even to some degree, right? First thing we're going to see by being unequally yoked. Unequally yoked. So he's going to choose compromise over obedience. Whenever, guys, we, whenever we have that opportunity, when that temptation comes, or when there's a point in life where you just stand for the Lord or walk away from Him, and you either choose obedience or you choose compromise, and we're going to see Jehoshaphat choose compromise in tonight's text. Number two, by committing to the world first and asking direction from the Lord. He's going to enter into this relationship with Ahab, and then they're going to 
he's going to agree with him to go fight one of their enemies. And then after he agrees to do it, he goes, oh, by the way, maybe we should ask God what he thinks. By the way, we don't ask God last. We ask God first. Amen. We don't make all these plans in life and then, oh, oh, by the way, Lord, could you sprinkle some God dust on this and make it okay? You know, we don't do that. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And often when, you know, you counsel people or you talk to people about the Lord and you see that their life has gotten off track, it's always because they started running their own way in their own direction and now they're mad at God because in their rebellion, God didn't bless it. Well, I prayed and asked God to bless it. When? When did you do that? Oh, well, you know, after I married the unbeliever and after I committed adultery four times, then I asked God to bless it. Well, wait a minute. We want to, get, we want to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? Number three, my seeking counsel from only those who will tell you what you want to hear. We have whole churches in America today built on this. You can tune in and all they'll tell you is how amazing you are. They'll blow sunshine all over you and tell you you're just the most amazing, wonderful people ever and how to have your best life now and no mention of sin and no mention of repentance and no mention of getting right with Jesus. Amen? And guess what? We're going to see that tonight. Ahab has 400 prophets and Ahab's known to be a brutal guy. And so he calls them all in to say, what should we do after he's already told them what he wants to do? And amazingly enough, all 400 of them say, yeah, do what you think. Yeah, you're right on the money, bro. Do it. And this is what happens, again, because they're operating in fear. These so-called prophets, there's some debate as to whether or not they're prophets of the Lord or if they're prophets of Baal, or if they're just prophets of the Lord who are scared half to death and won't stand up for the things of God. But we're going to see that picture in tonight's text. And again, we all should have people in our life that love us enough to shoot straight with us. Amen. When we're outside of God's will, someone will say, bro, I love you, but you know what? This is concerning. Where are you at, bro? What's going on in your life? Number four, by rejecting godly counsel. So the ungodly counsel is going to be followed up with godly counsel, and uh, Ahab's not going to want to hear it. And Jehoshaphat is going to continue walking step by step with King Ahab. At any point, he could have just said, no, I know I said I'd go with you. I was wrong. I need to repent. I can't do that anymore. And sometimes we'll make a commitment to do something that's ungodly, and then we won't back out of it. And some people, one guy even told me, well, the Bible says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. That's concerning stuff that's biblical. If you don't say, yeah, dude, I'll deal drugs for you. Oh, let my yes be yes. No, no, we can say no to that. Amen. We can back out of that. And we're going to see Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they're going to get godly counsel and... They're not going to listen to it. I mean, more so Ahab, of course. Number five, by being ignorant to the spiritual battle that goes on around us every day. We're going to see something tonight's text, maybe you've never seen before. And it's kind of, again, it'll be interesting as we go through it, where can God use evil to bring about righteous judgment? Yes, he can. He's going to do it in tonight's text. God will allow, he allowed the Babylonians to take Israel captive. Why? Even though the Babylonians were evil, God brought righteous judgment upon his own people. Number six, by trying to silence the truth of godly counsel so you can continue in your sinful behavior. So we're going to see Ahab be told, dude, if you go out and fight this battle, you're going to die. You're going to die. So what do they do? They smacked the dude that told them that and threw him in prison. They didn't like the messenger, the message, so they wipe out the messenger. That sounds like our country right about now. Amen. If you make a stand for the truth, you're going to get attacked by all kinds of people. And here's the good news. I believe it's not only the people we stand with, but the people that stand against us that prove that we're walking with Jesus. Amen. If, if, again, if we're standing for the Lord, we're going to face opposition from the world. It may not be because we're jerks or arrogant or self-righteous or anything like that, but just be prepared when you stand for God, you're going to face opposition. And finally, number seven, by rebelling against God, God's clear commands and openly rebelling against Him by doing what your flesh wants. So as believers, here's how we can fall away from the Lord. Here's how we can be influenced by an ungodly world, by being unequally yoked, by committing to the world first, and then asking God direction from the Lord, by seeking counsel from only those who will tell you what you want to hear, by rejecting godly counsel, by being ignorant to the spiritual battle that's going on around us, by trying to silence the truth of godly counsel so you can continue in sinful behavior, and by rebelling against God's clear commands and openly rebelling against Him by doing what your flesh wants. So let's begin there in verse 1, 2 Chronicles 18, and here's our boy Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat 
had riches and honor in abundance. Because of his personal godliness and his public faithfulness and obedience, God was blessing him. Now, I want to say this. It goes to two extremes. We all know this. There's extremes where people say, well, if you follow God, then you're all going to be rich. And if you look in the Bible, I'll show you people use mightily, and very few of them are very wealthy. God may make you well. And by the way, we're, we're wealthy relative to the, most of the world anyway. Amen. But that being said, that people will go to that extreme of saying, well, if you have God's blessing on your life, and we'll even say that about people as Christians. We'll see someone with a big house and a nice car and you know, a, a good job, and we'll go, man, that guy's blessed. Okay, maybe. But that's just stuff. But we're going to see that Sometimes God does bless people who are being faithful because he knows that they'll be faithful to use what God has blessed them with for his kingdom and for his glory. And God is blessing Jehoshaphat. He brought the word of God back. He, he removed the idols yet again. He got their eyes back on the Lord. And because he's being faithful, God is blessing him. Again, he not only blessed him, but the people of Judah uh, and the nations that surrounded them recognized that God's favor was on Jehoshaphat. Have you ever met people and you just go, man, God's got his hand on that person? You see him and you go, whoa, Lord, Lord, that person's walking with the Lord. God's got his hand on him. Doesn't mean their life is perfect. Doesn't mean their life is easy. But you can see in the midst of the greatest storm or the greatest joys, they're just steadfast and the Holy Spirit just is so evident in their life. Well, that's Jehoshaphat. Even the near nations are like, dude, God's with that guy. We don't want to mess with him. His God's amazing. Remember, he's already won battles for Jehoshaphat. So here he is. And Jehoshaphat's this man that's being blessed by God. You know, as believers, as we walk in faithful obedience to the Lord and God's uh, hand of blessing is upon us, know that in addition to other believers recognizing it, so will the world. And by the way, so does the enemy. Amen? Satan's resources are limited. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But he's, you know, he was an angel. He's a fallen angel. And he goes after those that are being used most highly by the Lord. I mean, he'd go after anybody that he can, but there's no doubt that there's certain people that he goes after knowing that he would bring great heartache. So Satan's got a got a Zion Jehoshaphat, no doubt. And he's gonna use, help use this guy, Ahab, to draw him away from where he should be. Again, he often goes after those who are being blessed by God. So we must be faithful to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it, not allow ourselves to be corrupted by it. And one of the neighboring nations was, of course, Israel, had nothing but evil kings, and one in tonight's text is the most evil of them all. Look what it says. So Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage, he allied himself with who? Ahab. We know from the verses coming that his son married Ahab's daughter. And this was politically correct. Because what kingdoms would do is they would marry their kids together as a form of a treaty. Because if you had common grandkids, right? And if your children were all, you know, your, your kids were your kids. Well, you wouldn't fight with each other. You wouldn't go to war with each other. So this was something they did often politically. And from a political perspective, again, Israel were, once were God's chosen people, still were, but they were in rebellion at that time, and God's hand was on Judah. And them coming back together, okay, but just look at who he's joining with. He's joining with Ahab. Ahab, an evil, vile, wicked idol worshiper, as bad as it gets. Uh, one of the many reasons I, I'm looking forward to having, you know, a Coca-Cola with Elijah in heaven. I want to talk to that brother. But he went into Ahab's temple, and what did he do? Who remembers? He kicked the idols down. Everybody's scared to death of Ahab, and Elijah just walks right in there, and let me just, let me just get rid of these right here. And just kicks them all down. And I mean, just no fear. But Ahab was just this vile, vile, pagan, ungodly man. And he aligns himself with them. His kids are unequally yoked together. He allied himself with the most evil king, and his wife was worse. So Jehoshaphat made this allegiance by marriage, and his oldest son married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. So they've been aligned together, and he's choosing compromise here because he's compromising by aligning himself with an ungodly man. And now, we're, and, and we'll get into this later, but we get to future chapters, it's going to get horrible because when 
Jehoshaphat dies and his son takes over. His son's going to slaughter all of his brothers to make sure that no one else can get the. And then the, the son after that's going to be okay. And then the son after that's going to slaughter all of his brothers. And all this is bring, being brought in because of Jezebel's daughter. And the whole reason Ahab fell so far away is he married Jezebel. And so here we see, can we learn from this? Hello, did you see what happened with Jezebel and Ahab? And now you're going to give your son a Jezebel on purpose? And that's what he does here. This, I don't see any prayer here. Do you see anybody praying? I, don't, I missed it. Might have wanted to pray about who his daughter, who his son married. Amen? Tells us how bad he was back in 1 Kings. It says, he introduced a worship of a completely new pagan gods. And in his disobedience, Jeroboam, the first king of the kingdom of, of the northern tribes, said, we'll just worship God, but we'll worship him here and make it convenient. Ahab just said, we're not worshiping God anymore. We're just getting our own gods. We don't need the true and living God. Remember, these are the same people who God delivered out of Egypt. These are the their ancestors, the same ones that wandered through the wilderness, the same ones that went into the land of promise and saw all the mighty victories of God. And look how far they've gotten away from the Lord. And the more every time I read stuff like this, all I can think about is the United States of America. We were once the most godly nation on the planet, and now his name is used more as a curse word than it is in an act of worship or praise. So here's what we're seeing as being unequally yoked. And the Bible is clear. It's in 2 Chronicles. I won't read the whole thing. But be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness, righteousness with unrighteousness? When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, don't marry a dead guy. You know, the Bible says you're spiritually dead. And then when you become a new creation in Christ, right? You die to yourself. You're a new creation in Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you marry somebody who's not saved, you're marrying someone who's spiritually dead. And that's the sad part here is, you know, death, you know, death corrupts, ungodliness corrupts. And so sad to see what the future would hold because of this one choice to compromise. We're to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. You remember yoke, where you get that term, they, you know, they, they run a plow and you want two animals of the same level of strength. If you put an ox with a donkey the donkey's going to lie down, the ox is going to drag him in circles, and nothing's going to happen. And so we're not to be yoked with somebody who's walking in the other direction. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. So it's very clear that Ahab and Jehoshaphat are going in the opposite direction, but now they've been joined together. Now watch what happens once they're related. Look at verse 2. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with them to Ramath Gilead. So he persuades him because when they had had an earlier battle with Ben-Hadad, we remember him from a few chapters back, they were told that they were going to give Ramath Gilead back to Israel, and then he didn't do it. But Ahab knows in his own strength, he is fearful that he cannot defeat Ben-Hadad. He cannot. So he says to, to Jehoshaphat, his brother-in-law now, or in-laws, right? And he says, hey, I want you to go with me and help me defeat these guys. And now, again, he asks a question. They're related to each other. They've been linked together through marriage, and he wants him to go with him to win this battle. Now, we don't see repentance on Ahab's side. He's still an idol worshiper. Now, if he goes up and takes over Ramath Gilead, what do you think he's going to make those people into? Bunch of idol worshipers. Amen? Here's the whole, so the point is, he's going to be advancing an ungodly kingdom, and he should seek the Lord and ask the Lord, is this what you want me to do? I know eventually we want to bring Israel and, and uh, Judah back together, but that can only happen through repentance. But watch what happens. You know, watch what he says. So King Ahab, so the Ahab, king of Israel, said Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the war. Now, is, is that accurate? I am as you are? I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. God's called me. God's using me. God's gifted me. We're worshiping the true and living God. You're a bunch of pagan idolaters sacrificing, you know, children to false gods. Baal is this ungodly, Ashtaroth, just perversion running amok in the nation. And he says, we're just like you. And here's the problem. There are too many people today and in churches. The stuff I get in the mail all the time, I get it every day. Senior, here's how to grow your church. And one of the things they tell you is, give the world what they're looking for. 
I'm not kidding. This is what the world wants in a church. They want Bozo the Clown in a petting zoo, and they want, you know, seven steps of financial freedom and three ways, of, you know, and just, you just do all that, and we'll send you out the flyers you need, and you can send them out to these people, and we'll put together a campaign on the internet, and I just, I just I throw up a little in my mouth every time I read one of those. I just get sick. The Bible's called us to make disciples, not entertain the world. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's what's happening. This is the same thing's happening here at Jehoshaphat. Like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, we're, yeah, we're the same. I'm as you and you're as me. Yeah, we're in this together, bro. No, he's not saved. He's a pagan idolater. He needs to repent. He's headed to hell if he doesn't get right with God. Amen? And he's saying, well, we're the same. No, we're not. Now, again, should we love everybody? What's the answer? We love everybody. The Lord loves everybody. But that being said, we don't become yoked to them and say to them, we're just like you are. No, we're not. We're new creations in Christ. That's a slap to Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Amen? He redeemed us. He made us new creations in Christ. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit. We're children of the King. We are not like people who are in rebellion against Almighty God. Amen? But here's Ahab going, yeah, dude, we're the same. Mono we mono, bro. Well, let's do it. Jehoshaphat, what have you been doing, bro? What happened to the guy from the last chapter who taught the Bible to the whole nation, who got rid of all the idols, who made us stand for the things of God, but here for the grace of God goes every one of us. Because the reality is that Christianity, you've heard me say this before, is kind of like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. You're getting closer to the Lord or further away from him. Amen? Don't just kind of stay in the same place. You're either pursuing God and falling more in love with Him and spending more time with Him, or you're becoming so busy with the world that you don't spend as much time with Him as you used to, and you look up and you realize I'm not as close to God as I used to be. And when that happens, we always ask, who moved? Amen? Jehoshaphat was a faithful man of God. Ahab was a pagan, idol-worshiping, rejecter of the true and living God. Guys, we're in this world, but we are not of the world. So point number one, how a godly man is influenced by an ungodly world by being unequally yoked. See, he started off with a compromise in marriage, and now he's compromising more to say he's going to go out and battle with them, to fight against Ramath Gilead, and to bring that territory back to Israel. Now watch, things are a little out of order here. By committing to the world first, then asking direction from the Lord. Look at verse 4. So also... And Joseph said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. First of all, you're asking a pagan idolater to ask of the Lord. Ahab doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. He's asking Ahab, hey, could you pray to, who's he going to pray to, Baal? Who's he going to talk to? Look, I never ask for prayer requests from unbelievers. I just don't. Doesn't make any sense. Can I get an amen to that? They're yelling down a well if you don't know Jesus. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, I want to be loving and kind and gracious. I want to pray for everybody. And that's why when they say, you know, thoughts and prayers and all this other, it's just pablum, right? They just throw stuff at you. And I don't, you know, well, I'll pray for you. I'm having a good thought for you. Well, that, that really helps, doesn't it? Thinking a good thought. Whatever. I'm talking to the creator of the universe. Amen. I don't need any good thoughts. I appreciate the heart from which it comes, and I try to be kind about that. But there's several problems here. So he agrees to go, to go to war alongside a pagan king, and then after committing to do so, he wants to know what the Lord thinks, and he does this all out of order. Guys, we don't decide and say, commit to do something ungodly or something we don't know if it's ungodly, and then go ask the Lord what he thinks about it. We go to the Lord first, not last, Amen. I've talked to Christians, we do this. Well, I tried everything else. I guess I'll pray. Right? Praise the first stop. Well, I tried everything and I can't find anything else. So he's asking this idol-worshiping pagan hater of the Lord who walks in open rebellion to inquire of the Lord. The Bible tells us to walk down the counsel of the ungodly. Why would I go, why would I seek counsel from somebody who's spiritually dead and doesn't know God? And he's telling him, why don't you ask the Lord? He doesn't even know the Lord. He has no relationship with the Lord. And we're going to see how God responds. So inquire, I pray thee, of the Lord today. Then it says in verse 5, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver you into the king's deliver." 
into the king's hands. So he has 400 prophets who are in Israel with King Ahab. But King Ahab is an idol worshiper. King Ahab is, is, mocks the true and living God. So these 400 prophets are one of two things. They're either false prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth and the idols, idol worshipers, or they're 400 guys who were once prophets to the true and living God, but now because of their fear of Ahab, will just tell him whatever he wants to hear because they're afraid if they tell him something he doesn't want to hear, he'll put him to death. And you know what? We need godly men and women who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Amen? Who would rather stand for the truth of God's word and do what's right in what the word of God says and not worry about what the world's going to do. I've told you this. I'm so convinced and so convicted of this. If a, if a new plague comes out and you drop dead by getting within 500 feet of anybody, we're still having church. And we'll all just drop dead and go to heaven together if that's the case. Can I get an amen to that? I'm just so tired of all the, everybody's afraid of what the government's going to say. And they, give, they use Romans 13 to submit the authority God's placed over you. We submit to them until they tell us to disobey God. Then we don't submit to them anymore. Amen. Amen. And here he is, Ahab, what are you doing, bro? And Ahab brings his prophets in. What do you think? No, it doesn't take long. Yeah, yeah, dude, go for it. Yeah, that's a good idea. 400 guys in unison, that quick. I don't see any prayer. Do you see a prayer meeting taking place here? Anybody going out making sacrifices and asking the Lord what they think? They're just scared to death, my opinion, scared to death of Ahab. Whatever he wants, tell him. Because he's a mean guy and he'll have us put to death if we don't. And you know what? We live in a world today that's growing more and more in a, in a hatred for born-again Christians. Jehoshaphat, now watch this though. Now in the midst of this, Jehoshaphat's going to, look at verse 6. Point number two there, by committing the world to the world first and asking for the Lord. See, he committed to go, and then they asked the Lord, but they asked the Lord through these 400 prophets who were under the rule of an idol worshiper. And so now watch, we're going to see Holy Spirit's going to come into play, and this can happen for us, right? How many besides me? You get off track, you know you kind of went in the wrong direction with something, and you get about you know halfway down the road, and you get the Holy Spirit head slap, Right? You get that conviction of, what are you doing? Anybody besides me? And Holy Spirit convicts you. What do you do? You're like, oh, your Lord, you're right. What am I doing here? How did I get here? How do I get back out of here? Well, watch verse 6, point number 3, by seeking counsel from those who will tell you only what you want to hear. But Jehoshaphat says, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here? We might inquire of him. Now, this is why many people believe that these 400 prophets were prophets of Baal and Asherah. But it's, uh, do we have any God guys around here? Do we have any true people that know the Lord around here? Can we ask of them? Is there anybody left? Now, or if it's 400 guys who used to be true prophets, you can see that they've compromised to the point where Jehoshaphat has already committed to doing something. He's down that road, but now he's going, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. We need... Is there... Now, notice the Lord there in your Bible. If you've got a good translation, you see the word Lord there is all capital letters, L-O-R-D. Now, it means it's, the word is Yahweh, which is the name of God. And there must be something about Ahab's 400 prophets that tells Jehoshaphat, they're not prophets of Yahweh. Is there any Yahweh prophets left? We got anybody around here that knows the true and living God? So we just heard from, you know, 1-900-Psychic and what they think, and we don't care. We heard from all the soothsayers and magicians and all that other nonsense. Is there, is there like a real prophet around here? Anybody really knows God? Can we ask them? Can we find that person? So Jehoshaphat asked the question. He's got a check in his heart. No peace after hearing from Ahab's 400 prophets. Again, there's wisdom in the counsel of many, but only if they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Amen? We don't vote on you know, what's godly and what isn't. God's word is the plumb line of truth. Amen? We don't vote on it. We don't change it to fit our lifestyle. We don't change the word of God. We don't abbreviate it. We don't do any of that. So he's like, oh, I don't get it. So is there, do we have any real prophets around in verse 7? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. His name is Micaiah, the son of Emiah, 
And, and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Why are you talking garbage about a prophet of God? That's what he, Pastor Dave paraphrased. Why are you talking trash about a prophet of God? He goes, I hate that guy. You know why I hate him? Because he speaks against idolatry. I hate that guy because he stands for the things of God because he tells me the truth and I don't want to hear it. And you know what? If people hate us, you know, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so the prophets, so they did to the prophets who went before you. Amen? Now, don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. But that we, we need more people to stand up and be bold for Jesus. Amen? And to say, that's wrong. It's just ridiculous. I cannot believe our country in the last 10 years is, is on the moon. We've gotten so far away from the simple truths that we can find in the Word of God. We're so far away from it. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. And there's such division in our country. And the only way there's going to be revival in this nation is if we repent and get our eyes back on Jesus. Amen? And that's not going to happen if all the Christians stay quiet. And a lot of us are afraid. Well, if I say that, they'll say I'm homophobic or xenophobic, obophobic. You know what? I'm Godophobic. That's it. I fear God, nobody else. Can I get an amen to that? And let's stop worrying. So he just says, there's one guy, but I hate him. If Ahab hates him, I like him already. Can I get an amen to that? You can tell what kind of character someone has, not only by who loves him and by who hates him. If an ungodly world hates him, probably my friend. Can I get an amen to that? So here he is, he's saying, well, there's this one guy, and he said, don't talk about him like that. He's kind of correcting, his, correcting Ahab here. You know what? Here's the reality. We need to be willing to listen to hard things. We need to be willing to be corrected. We need to be willing to have you know, someone speak into our life or let the Word of God just bring conviction where we need it. Amen? And often people, you know, often people say, well, I stopped reading my Bible because every time I do, I, have to, I feel bad about things I'm doing. It's because you're supposed to. <laughs> Amen? I'm just going to ignore the law, and then I, don't have to, I, won't, I won't know when I'm breaking it. Isn't it amazing around our country that we vote in all these cities to lessen the number of police officers, and now they're all crime-ridden, and they can't figure out why? Gee, I wonder. Here's the reality. It's just insanity. Amen? But the reality is we need more law, not less. And the word of God is true. And when you ignore it, it does, you, still, you still get a ticket if you drive 90, if you think the speed limit's 90. If it's 55 and you don't know it, you're getting a ticket anyway. And here's the thing, Ahab doesn't like it because he likes doing whatever he wants and having no one question him. And that sounds like a lot of the world today, amen? We want to do what we want and don't you dare question us. I might be doing prison ministry again one of these days. <laughs> Looking forward to it, actually. Wouldn't bother me one bit. He didn't want godly counsel. He only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. And he does not want to hear from this man that he knows is, not, is, is going to be willing to call him out. Then verse 8, it says, Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring me Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. All right, go get him. Praise the Lord for... Jehoshaphat getting in his chest with both feet saying, don't talk like that, man. He's a man of God. I don't know who these other 400 nut jobs are, but bring me the man of God out here. Let me hear from somebody that actually I want to respect. Go get that guy. Now watch what happens. Verse 9. Then the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat on the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So they're sitting in their robes, they're in their position of reigning, but again, one of them is reigning, serving the Lord, and the other one is not. And then it says in verse 10, Now Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, had made horns of iron for himself, and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. Well, that sounds biblical, doesn't it? Zedekiah gets up there with horns, and he's like, crashing these horns together. Not, the only thing worse than a false prophet is a false prophet with props, right? And he's up there, and he's up there like, if you go out and battle these horns, we're going to jab them, we're going to kill them, right? And, and, you know, they're listening to this. And you know what? Again, he's just telling Ahab what Ahab wants to hear. This is the guy, you know what? Cheat on your wife. Yeah, she, you know what? She's kind of mean. I'd cheat on her too. Go ahead. There's people that counsel people like that. There's people that will tell you, yeah, you're right, the company, you know, the IRA, they're a mess, still, it's okay, still, still, you know, 
Make, put some stuff on your tax return. You know, they're going to spend it on a hammer anyway. They're all idiots. So just keep the money for yourself. And there's this mentality where you'll get counsel to do the ungodly. And that's what's happening here. This prophet of his, Zedekiah, he's going to come back later in the chapter. It'll be interesting. Now, look what happens here in verse 11. And all the prophets prophesied, saying, Go up to Ramath Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver you, deliver in it into the king's hand. So they're get, they're, these are the 400 guys. They're kind of backtracking, talking about when they came before them and what they heard from them. And now we're going to get the contrast of what happens when a, God, a man of God comes to speak to them and said. So point number three there, by seeking counsel from those who will only tell you what you want to hear. These 400 guys, no matter what he would have said, I'm convinced they would have told him to go. Because they're fearing Ahab and they don't fear God. And guys, when we fear men and we don't fear God, we're going to tell men what they want to hear. When we fear God, we're going to honor the Lord and we'll tell men what they need to hear. Amen? Point number four, by rejecting godly counsel. So in the midst of all this nightmare, Jehoshaphat making a wrong choice, unequally yoked, all the stuff that's taking place, in walks a godly man. And when a godly man shows up, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Amen? Verse 12. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him and said, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. So the guy goes and gets him and no doubt under Ahab's you know, prompting and says, By the way, all the other prophets said, go. So you need to go and just say the same thing they said and encourage King Ahab. Because he knows that this guy is probably not going to do that. And I love this response. I love this response. This is probably my favorite verse in the whole chapter tonight. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Amen, 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 and amen. I don't care if it's popular with the world. I don't care if it disagrees with what everybody else on the planet is saying. I'm going to say what God tells me to say and nothing else. And we need more men and women like that. Can I get an amen to that? 400 people, it's overwhelming. It's easy to, it, you know, any dead fish can go with the flow, right? Amen? Anybody can just go with the, he could have just agreed and nothing would have happened. And guess what? We're going to see that by him standing for the Lord, it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him. It's not going to be easy for him because he stands for the things of God. You know what? How many times... He's going to ask him, shall I make you swear? Watch what happens here. Then he says, verse 14, Then he said to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he said, go up and prosper, and they should be delivered into your hand. Now, I love that there's more verses, because it's very clear that this is complete and total sarcasm from the jump. He's like, yeah, go ahead, go up there. They'll deliver them into your hand. And already everybody knows he's not, he doesn't mean it. He's telling him what he wants to hear because he told him to say whatever the world tells him to say. But as he says it, it's very clear that he doesn't agree with it. And how do we know that? Look at the next verse. And then he says, So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? You're not telling me the truth. I can tell you're just telling me what you think I want to hear, and I know there's something else that you have to say. How many times must I make you swear? King Ahab recognized the mocking tone of Micaiah's voice in his prophecy, and it knew it contradicted the message of the 400 prophets, and he demanded that he tell him nothing but the truth. And again, no more than likely, it was in his tone of voice that he recognized, and he knew this man well enough. Now watch what happens here. In verse 16 and 17, then he said to him, he says, tell the truth. I, I was planning on it anyway. I just thought I'd give you what you wanted. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. Here it is. I saw all Israel scattered in the mountains as sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. So if they go up on the hill and they're fighting in this battle and the sheep have no shepherd, where's the king? He's dead. And he's letting them know, this, I've seen a vision, came from the Lord. They're going to go into battle, sheep without a shepherd. Hey, Ahab, you're dead. That's what's going to happen. 
Now, this is a guy, again, is a man who is more concerned with being faithful to God, as he said a few verses earlier, than being popular with man. He's not worried about what Ahab thinks about him. He just wants to honor the Lord. He's speaking the true prophecy of the Lord. I saw all of Israel scattered in the mountains as sheep without a shepherd. He boldly prophesies that wicked Ahab will die. Now watch it, verse 17. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? I told you that he wasn't going to say good stuff about me. You know why? Because you're a wicked, vile sinner, bro. You're an idol-worshiping follower of false gods. He killed all the prophets earlier. Amen? This guy's a wicked, vile man, as wicked as they get. By the way, there's a mention of 400 prophets because later Elijah thing comes along and half of them die at the hands of, of uh, Elijah after they cry out to Baal and Baal doesn't answer because he doesn't exist. And so here we have him saying, look, see, I told you he wouldn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Now, when confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. What he could have done right here is, hey, Micaiah, is it too late for me to get right with God? So what you're telling me is if I go out into battle, I'm going to die. And God has spoken to you. Can I get right with God? Is it too late? No, instead, he blames it on the messenger. I told you that this guy would not tell me anything good. He's blaming the messenger instead of examining his own heart and getting right with God. And when we're confronted with sin, we can either blame the person or we can make excuses for something that someone else did to us, or we can repent. Amen? And sadly, we don't see any repentance coming out of Ahab. He's going to reject the godly counsel, attacking the messenger when you don't like the message, placing your feelings above faith in God and his word. People under sin and rebellion don't want the truth because it condemns their behavior. Why are there so many sinful behaviors right now that everybody wants us to agree with? They just want us to agree. They don't, if they just wanted to live their life, they could, but they don't. They want to make sure we all say it's okay. Why is that? Because deep down, they know it's not. And so what, you, what do you want? You want everyone to tell you that it's okay because then you can feel better about your sin. And we need more people to lovingly and graciously and with kindness stand up for the truth and say, look, the way the transgressor is hard, what you're doing is contrary to the word of God. And you keep heading down this road, it's going to be a disaster. But here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows you best. He loves you most. And if you will repent and turn your life over to him, you can be a born again, new creation in Christ. And that God-shaped vacuum you've been trying to fill out with everything in this world will be filled with the Lord. And you will finally have the peace that you've been looking for. That's the answer. And here's the exhortation. And he doesn't respond with, Oh, maybe I should repent. I got 400 guys who agree with me and one guy that doesn't. I got 400 spiritually dead idol worshipers and one guy who follows the true and living God. By the way, you plus God is a majority, amen? If it's you and God on this side and the whole world on this side, you're on the right side, amen? We want to be on the Lord's side. Point number four, five, by being ignorant to the spiritual battle that goes on around us every day. These are some interesting verses. Get ready. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and on his left. Now, so now he's going to share with him what's, what is taking place in the presence of Almighty God in regards to this battle. And he's going to tell him what's taking place in the spiritual realm, if you will. Now watch this. So he says, therefore, the word of the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, on his throne, all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Abraham, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramath Gilead? Hey, who wants to go down there and tell this guy to go ahead and fight the battle so I can kill him? I mean, that's kind of a blunt, direct way of saying it, but he's basically saying, just go down there and convince him to go ahead and fight the battle because he's coming to his end. This is it. And then watch what happens. Interesting stuff taking place here. Then he says, so one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail and go out and do so. So what he's saying is, you know why these guys were all lying to you? 
There's a spirit that's come to convince them to lie to you. And the reason they're all lying to you is so God's righteous judgment can finally be done. Now, this will give you a little bit of a headache, but what I want us to understand is that God is in control of everything. God is on the throne. God is in control. And even when, even when the enemy brings about something for righteous judgment, God can use even that for his glory. And he can even use someone who's got evil intent to bring about his perfect work. Because here's the reality. The only reason that there's evil on the planet is because of sin. Amen? And while God, again, in this case, people would even say, well, it looks like he has evil in his presence. Well, let's just say this, make it clear. God has no fellowship with evil. Amen? No relationship with evil. But notice that these fallen angels still interact at the throne of God. At least in this case, right? Before Pentecost, it's happening, right? And God can allow that if he wants to, because we have a spiritual... What, what happened with Job? We read Job, right? How does that happen? Satan comes and talks to the Lord. Amen? Consider, and then the Lord says, consider my servant Job. And he said, he only worships you because everything's perfect. Paraphrase. You let me get after him, he'll turn his back on you. Okay, you can have him, you can't kill him. See, God's in control. God allowed it, but he used it for his glory. And again, as you read the book of Job, it's one of the greatest sources of encouragement for those of us going through trials in the whole Bible. Amen? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, Job says. After he lost everything, he said, shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? See, God, God is in control because even the fallen angels, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And they will all bow to him. And even the evil things that they do, again, and, and to a certain degree, have to go through his hand before they can do it. I will go out with a lying spirit in my mouth. I'll convince all the prophets. Again, in the end, we all get what we want. Relationships with God are succumbing to the flesh. Here's the reality. He heard the truth from one prophet. That should be enough. He heard the lie from 400 prophets, and it comes down to him deciding, do I heed the godly counsel, or do I heed the counsel that's telling me what I want to do? And now it's up to Ahab. What's he going to do? And it's always the same is true for us. We get counsel from the world, but we need counsel from the Lord. And again, we need to spend time in God's word so we hear from him. Satan himself still has access to heaven. He presents himself before God, as we saw in the book of Job. And God will use the ungodly even to bring about righteous judgment. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He works day and night against us. The Bible says in 1 John 5, in this then this then is the message which we have heard from him and declare unto you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. James 1 says, let no man say he's tempted by God for God cannot tempt with evil, neither does he tempt any man. Temptation comes from the enemy, but even in, in Job's case, he couldn't even tempt him without God's permission. So God doesn't create it, but God will allow it. And again, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Was Jesus tempted? And how does Satan almost always tempt you? With things of this world that are driven by the flesh. Amen? Even when he tempted Jesus, turn, you know, Jesus is hungry, turn those rocks into bread, right? You know, if you throw yourself off, I'll give you all the kingdoms. He's all the same things he tempts us with. And he knows what our frailties are. And Ahab's frailty was pride and arrogance. And he didn't want to answer to anybody. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And so he has 400 false prophets who've all told him what he wants to hear. And one man who told him the truth. Jeremiah had a problem in his day and God was about to allow Jerusalem to be destroyed but there were men who claimed to be prophets who kept telling the people that they'd be okay and nothing bad would happen. And as a result, the people weren't paying attention to Jeremiah's warnings that were coming from God. In Jeremiah 23, it says, the prophet had a dream, let him tell the dream, and he hath my word, and let him speak the word faithfully, which is chaff to the wheat, said the Lord. You know, and what he told him was he warned them what was going to take place, but instead of listening to the man of God, they listened to the world. And the same thing can happen to us. When we listen to the world instead of listening to the Lord, our choices have compliments, com complications. Amen? The Bible's the real deal. 
Is my word not like as a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith. Behold, I'm against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do not tell them, and cause people to, to fall for their lies by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. I think that sometimes we need to be careful with the phrase, God told me. When people come and tell me that, well, God, I've, got a, I've got a word from God for you. And I've had people that when they told me, I, I went back and read my Bible and prayed and I bear witness with it. But we need to be very, very careful because anything, anything anybody says to you must agree with this. Amen? Amen? And you know what else? If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it will agree with this, and the Holy Spirit within you will agree with it. Amen? And when you have a check in the Spirit, you're going to go, you're going to be Job in verse 6. I mean, Jehoshaphat in verse 6. Well, isn't there another guy around here? We got these 400 knuckleheads. Got anybody else? Anybody like knows the, actually knows the Lord? Anybody got the Holy Spirit living inside of them? Can we call one of them instead? And so here we are, and now they're going to go after the messenger. Again, all prophecy must always be aligned with the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And so we saw there at the end of verse 22, uh, verse 22, it says, Therefore look, said, I will go out and be a lying spirit. The Lord said, you shall persuade him and do so. Verse 22, therefore the Lord has sent out a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So here's what he tells them. The Lord told these 400 guys to lie to you, and they lied to you. And now I'm telling you that they lied to you, which also means it's not too late for you to repent. Amen? They lied to you because God said, tell them to lie to them, because that's what he wants to hear. But he still gives them somebody who brings the truth in the midst of the lie. And here's that voice crying out in the wilderness, the one who's telling the truth. Then he comes back to him and said, let me just tell you the whole thing that happened. False prophet went out, told all, you know, demonic spirit, lying to you, and told them all to lie to you, and they all lied to you. I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened. God said he's going to do it to destroy you. But that's, it's like, the great, it's like on, on Sundays, we're going through Revelation. You know, what does a tribulation do? It gives you one more chance to repent. And this is one more chance to repent, right? Hey, Ahab, dude, they lied to you. God sent someone to tell them to lie to you because you're a mess and you're going to die. And he's telling them one more time that they lied to you. It's still one more chance to go, oh, they're lying to me. What do I need to do to get right with God before I go out and fight this battle? Sad. Number six, by trying to silence the truth of godly counsel so you can continue in your sinful behavior. Look at verse 23. Then Zedekiah, remember him? The dude with the horns, the dude with the props, right? <laughs> that dude, okay? So what does he do? So Zedekiah, the son of Shenai, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from you, from me to speak to you? He's saying, so you're, since when did the Holy Spirit leave me and speak to you? Dude, the Holy Spirit's been over there the whole time, bro. But the point is that he comes up and smacks him in the face because he doesn't like what he said. And what did he say? What God commanded him to say. What did he speak? Nothing but the truth. And in the midst of that, what happens? He gets struck in the face by, by a false prophet. Guys, when we stand for the Lord, again, bless you that were violent when they rile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. If you don't like the message, uh, disagree with the messenger, attack the messenger. Zedekiah had been in the spotlight. He lost it when Micaiah showed up. It says in the NASB of verse 23 is, how did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? How come I don't have the Spirit and you do? Because He's walking with the Lord and you're not. And the sad part is that too often people are looking more for the gift than the giver of the gift and having a relationship with the King of Kings. Verse 24, and Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. He said, since when did the Spirit of God go from me to you? And he goes, you're going to find out when you're in hiding, dude. That's the paraphrase of this verse. 
When did the spirit leave me and go to you? You're going to find out soon enough. You're going to be hiding in a cave, bro. You're going to be scared half to death. And you're going to be scared half to death because the Lord's coming after you. And he's just, again, he continues to speak the truth. I love people that get slapped and keep speaking the truth. Can I get him into that? I love people that get threatened and they keep speaking the truth. Praise God for people like that. There would be a day when Zedekiah will be looking for a place to hide, like after the battle when the king is killed, after following his advice, coming right up before this chapter's over. That advice you gave him, yeah, you got the horns, bro. You're going to go out there and win the battle. Uh, how valuable is that counseling once the king's dead? And what are the rest of the people going to think in his kingdom? They're going to be looking at you like, dude, you're a liar. Unrepentant will seek counsel that agrees with the rebellious behavior, and it is so tragic that, again, even given repeated opportunities to repent, they won't do it. Verse 25, Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Amnon and the governor of the city, to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus says your king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. He says, Look, you gave me advice I don't want. I'm going to throw you in prison. And when it talks about feeding him with uh, bread of affliction and water of affliction, it's bad bread, foul water, barely enough to survive. He's, again, confronted with sin. He can make excuses or accuse others or repent. And what does he do? He accuses the messenger. He's going to throw him in prison and say, leave him there until I come back in peace. Well, you're never coming back in peace. You're going to come back in pieces, maybe, but you're not coming back in peace. Matthew 4, 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, it's not the, the lack of physical bread that's harmful to our souls. It's the lack of spiritual bread, the word of God. Amen. The enemy will attack those who stand for the Lord. And these attacks are in spiritual battles and also temptations that are largely physical. But guys, he can't touch God's eternal promises. No matter what Satan does, he can't touch God's eternal promises. Can't snatch him out of our out of. He can't snatch us out of his hand. The Lord's with us. He's a faithful God, and He is so so merciful. Now watch what it says in verse twenty-seven. As we're about to finish up, and Micaiah said, "If you ever return in peace, and the Lord has not spoken by me, take heed, all you people." Here's what he said: If you come back, the Lord didn't even speak to me. What he's telling them is, "You're not coming back because I heard from the Lord. And if you happen to come back, then I'm a false prophet." That's what he's saying. Because how many times does a false prophet, does a prophet have to be wrong to be a false prophet? I love saying that to, to uh, Mormons when they come to my door, because I'll be talking about Joseph Smith. I'm like, you know, there's several times he predicted uh, the Lord coming back. Jesus was going to come back to earth back in the 50s. You know, way back when he said we'd come in the 50s. He didn't. He's a false prophet. And I give you other, a lot of other false prophecies by all the things he prophesied. But see, that's what happens. And that's why we need to be careful that when we hear the words of men, and I'm, I'm very careful to say, thus saith the Lord. How about you? Let me just, let me take you to the Bible. What do you think? Well, I don't care what I think. Let me see what the Bible says. Because we know we can stand on this. See, prophecy is not just foretelling, it's foretelling. So prophecy isn't just speaking about things that will happen in the future. It's speaking the truth of God's word with boldness. Amen. Because guys, one thing we can do without any reservation whatsoever, have any of you felt prompted to tell something, people something about the Lord and you were scared half to death to do it? Or when you did it, you're like, well, you know, maybe I just, uh, this could be, right? But you know what we can do every time with full authority and without flinching? Open up the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. We can say it with boldness, without, without hesitation, Amen. And so he says to him, look, if you ever come back, I'm a false prophet because God already told me you're dead, bro. Pastor Dave paraphrased. Last point. Number seven, by rebelling against God's clear commands and openly rebelling against him by doing what your flesh wants. So what does he do? How does this end? What's he going to do? Is he going to repent? Is he going to get right with God? Is he going to heed the godly counsel? Verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramath Gilead. Now I understand in a way while, is, while, while Ahab went because he's arrogant and he's prideful and he thinks he's going to win the battle and he's full of himself. I still don't understand why Jehoshaphat went. He heard all this godly counsel. He's a godly man. He was standing right there. Why did he go? It's a mistake. But you want to see something that's really awesome? We're going to see God's grace in these last few verses. Watch. 
And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Jehoshaphat, dude, so here's what I want you. You dress up like a king and then I'm going to dress up like not a king. And then we go on the battle. They're looking to kill the king. In his mind, they're going to try to kill you, Jehoshaphat. And I'm just going to blend in with all the other people. And then if they killed you, they'll think they killed the king and they might leave me alone. Dude, is this the guy you want to go into battle with? Whose side is this guy on? Amen. This is not the guy you want on your side. He's giving him like ungodly counsel. Now, Jehoshaphat, because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Watch what happens in verse 29. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself. And he said, I will go. And he said, but put on your robe. So the king of Israel disguised himself. They went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots with, who were with him, saying, fight with no small one or great, but only with the king of Israel. So the entire army of Benadad's looking for one dude. They want to kill Ahab. That's the only guy they want. Run by everyone else. Don't fight the small battles. We just want the king. Kill that dude. That'll end the whole battle. Let's just kill him. Now, it's starting to look like Ahab's pretty smart. They're, they're all looking for me. I'm going to be dressed like a private over here, and, and you know, Jehoshaphat's going to be riding in a chariot with the, all, in all of his glory. They'll, they'll be firing at him only. Watch what happens, though. See, you cannot outthink God. Amen? You can't do it. You know, but God's smarter than all of us. We're all idiots compared to God. Now, look, at, look what happens. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. Now, I love this because guess what I wrote in my margin of my Bible? Jehoshaphat said, Lord, help. One of my favorite prayers, and now I found someone in the Bible who did it before me. Can I get an end to that? Because he's riding along. He gets surrounded. They think he's the king. They're getting ready to kill him. And what does he do? He goes, Lord, help. He cries out to the Lord, they all get confused, and they all leave. Now, Ahab had a good plan because they all went after the wrong guy. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And we're, and we're indestructible until God's through with us. Amen? And Jehoshaphat wasn't going to die 30 seconds before God said so. So even though they surrounded him, now watch how Ahab dies. This is such a God thing. Watch. God diverted him from him, for so it was when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random. So he just drew a bow like this. He'd probably been firing it. He just goes like this and fires it. He's not even aiming anywhere. He just fires it. Just lets it go. You know, we got this guy in a big robe and, you know, with all the, you know, the gold on him and in a chariot, and that's the target, and they come to him, and God won't let him do it. Now he just fires at random, and then look what happens. And it says, and it struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out into the battle for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, what? He died. God told him that if he went into battle, he was going to die. The 400 false prophets told him what he wanted to hear. He's going to live. We can listen to the world, or we can listen to the Lord. Amen? Could God have, if he wanted to, even redeem Ahab at this point? What's the answer? But Ahab continues to be more driven and more about what he wants and rejecting godly counsel, and he hates Micaiah because he tells him the truth, and he wants nothing to do with it. And then he gets the word of God to him, and look how this... He sets up a plan. He thinks he's smarter than God. He's got Jehoshaphat all dressed up like the king. The people come to him. God says, it's not him. Leave him alone. They all turn around. Guy shoots an arrow in the sky. Kills Ahab. By the way, covered in armor. There's only a few spots. Got to be the perfect shot, right? Just got him. And he sits down. He's staring out and watches it, and he dies. You know what? It's never too late to cry out for help like we see Jehoshaphat do. Jehoshaphat should have never been in that battle. He should have never been yoked together with Ahab. 
He should have never agreed to go out with them. He should have never, after hearing the godly counsel from Micaiah, continued to go out in the battle anyway. But isn't our God a gracious God that in the middle of all the horrible choices he's made, when he cries out for help, the Lord helps him? Take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? So if you wander away from him, he still loves you. You're still his son. If one of your kids calls you and they've been messing up for 10 years and they ask to come home and ask for forgiveness, how quickly would you run to find your kids? Can I get an amen? And we're flawed parents. He's our perfect heavenly father. He cried out. The Lord helped him. God's hand of protection was upon him. And God's also at the same time guided the arrow so that the enemy would be struck down dead. So in closing... How a godly man is influenced by an ungodly world. Number one, by being unequally yoked. Number two, by committing to the world first and asking direction from the Lord. Number three, by seeking godly counsel only from those who will tell you what you want to hear. Number four, by rejecting godly counsel. Number five, by being ignorant to the spiritual battle that is going on all around us every day. Number six, by trying to silence the truth of godly counsel so that you can continue in your sinful behavior. And number seven, by rebelling against God's clear commands and openly rebelling against him by doing what your flesh wants. Lord, help us. We pray. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, we know there's a spiritual battle that goes on all around us. And if you were to open our eyes to it, it would blow us away. But we're thankful that in that spiritual battle, we know the one who has victory. Lord, we're thankful that you are for us. And because you're for us, who can be against us? Lord, we're thankful that even when we're not in the center of your will, where we long to be, that you're a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. And I pray for anybody here tonight who's wandered off the path, who's gotten caught up like Jehoshaphat through being unequally yoked and listening to the world and walking according to the flesh. May they cry out like Jehoshaphat and say, Lord, help. May they be drawn back home into your arms. And Lord, I pray that we would minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it, that we'd be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, is he worthy to be worshiped?